I'm in Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 25. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Come down from that cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come... There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma samachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait. Let us see whether Elijah will come down to take him. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Here ends the reading of God's word. Matthew and Mark record only one saying from Jesus on the cross. And it is this phrase, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani. They give it to us in the Aramaic, which is the language Jesus would have, that would have been the, the common speaking language. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If we read these words quickly and without much thought, they, they seem cruel, right? How could God, how could God abandon, forsaken his son? How could a father forsake a son? How could God forsake his own? And in fact, some Christian theologies have have this kind of belief, that God leaves Jesus, that Jesus is alone in this moment. But I want to question that theology a little bit and reflect on what is going on when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I, I think there's three ways you have to do that. Number one, you have to think a little bit about the Trinity. Number two, I think you have to think a little bit about the idea of substitution, what Jesus is doing on the cross. And number three, I think you need to look at the source material of Jesus' words. And I will explain that as we get there. First, the Trinity, the great mystery of our faith, that somehow God is three persons and yet one. In the Bible, this seems confusing. It is, in fact, a paradox. It doesn't quite logically add up. We have these moments where, like at Jesus' baptism, Jesus is being baptized in the Jordan. God the Father speaks the words of blessing, and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove on Jesus. Clearly, three different persons, three different entities at work. And yet, we are told to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And yet Jesus, when he talks about the Father, says, I and the Father are one. In fact, Jesus goes so far as to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
When he talks about sending the Holy Spirit, he talks about sending my spirit. This is a mystery. It's beyond our understanding and beyond our language. Um, but getting to know a person is like that, right? I can know a lot about you. Okay? And I can say things that are completely wrong about you, right? Like you grew up in New Mexico. Well, you've never been in New Mexico, maybe. And that's totally wrong. But can I ever say everything about you? If you've been married for a while, you understand no, right? Because after years and years of marriage, sometimes you get to still surprise each other. You find out new things about each other. Of course, with an infinite God, there's going to be a whole bunch of stuff that we can't understand and we can't give language to. And yet we can say more or less accurate things. So to simply believe that God the Father is turning his back on Jesus and Jesus is crying out to, the, to God the Father is to, I think, distinguish the, the members of the Trinity too much. Okay, If they're truly one, then how can you have Jesus speaking to the Father but them not also at the same time being together? God the Father goes through this with the Son. In fact, a number of us went and saw the movie The Shack last week. And it had a really neat way of putting this. Uh, in The Shack, the, the lead character gets to meet all three members of the Trinity. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, represented by three actual persons as he's talking to them. And it's interesting because they all have scars on their wrists. They all have the scars bearing the mark of the cross. Um, To just simply say that Jesus is forsaken by God at face value separates the Trinity too much. It's not just that God is sending Jesus to the cross. It is the Father's will, but it also is the Son's willingness. Okay, Remember in the garden, Jesus says, Lord... Let not this cup pass from me. Father, don't let, this, don't, don't let me make me do this. And yet, what did it say? But not my will, yours be done. It is not just Jesus sending, being sent to the cross by the Father. He is willingly going to the cross. Now, why is he going to the cross? Jesus is a unique member of the Trinity in that he is fully God, fully human. Okay, he's fully God, fully human. He's fully both. And in him, in his very person, he's beginning to heal this gap between God and humanity. And he goes to this cross as a substitute. That's the, that's the language we often use in our theology, as a substitute. God, sub, Jesus substitutes himself in for a life that you couldn't live, right? You, he, Jesus, we said it earlier in our liturgy. He is tempted in every way that we are, but without sin. Can you say that? You've been tempted. We've all been tempted. But can you say you're without sin? No. No. Jesus was, though. He lives the life that you couldn't live. He dies the death that you and I deserve to give us the life that we don't deserve. Jesus substitutes himself. And so some of the forsakenness, just like the pain of the cross, Jesus is taking on for us as a substitute for us. As Philippians says, he is submitting himself to death. Even death on a cross. How many of us have felt forsaken? You ever been in so much pain? You ever been so hurt? You ever been so angry that you think God has left you? That you feel like you've been forsaken by God? We've all had those moments. We've all had those times. And Jesus knows exactly what it's like to feel those things because he felt them too. But the bigger question is, was he actually forsaken for that matter are we forsaken 
If Jesus was forsaken, does that mean that you and I have these moments in our lives where God wasn't with us? Where God turned his back on us and just left us alone? To really answer that, you need to look at the source material that Jesus is using. You might not see it as source material, but, but Jesus is actually quoting here. And he's quoting from a psalm. And it's a psalm that begins, it's Psalm 22. I would encourage you, if you got your Bible, grab a pew Bible, turn to Psalm 22. Because it's pretty amazing that Jesus would sing from this song or speak from this psalm on this particular day. The psalm starts with an address. To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn. Now, what are we, we don't know what that means. What, it, what it's a reference to is a tune. It's a reference to a tune for the choir master to lead the singing of the congregation. This is a song that the Jews would sing in worship. It would be like Jesus crying out from the cross, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Okay? Or Jesus crying out from the cross, Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. And all the Christians in the room would instantly know, Oh, that's a song, right? You'd instantly know it, and you would either start singing it, or maybe in your head start going through the verses. Jesus does this. He says words that come from a psalm. In fact, I wonder if he starts to sing it. I wonder if he sings that line so that everybody understands the psalm that he's in. So look at Psalm 22. Let's look at this psalm. Psalm 22 begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the line, right? That's the first line. That's the opening line. Jesus says that from the cross. Okay, He didn't make these words up. He's quoting this psalm. Okay, let me read. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. Then you cried out and were rescued. To you they cried out and were rescued. And in you they trusted and were not put to shame. So the psalm clearly starts where Jesus is. Right? Lord, what... Why are you forsaken me? Where are you? What's going on in this dark hour? Why aren't you saving me like you've saved people in the past? Now, let's keep going. Verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make their mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. Pause. Think about that. Think about that in context of Mark. Okay? Jesus is being taunted. He's being teased. Let, let, let Elijah save him. He saved others. Why not save himself? The psalm makes reference to that kind of taunting. In fact, Mark uses the language of them wagging their heads just like the psalm does. That he, They're yelling at him and they're wagging their heads. Mark uses this exact language, I think, because Mark looked up the psalm and knew the song. He knew this song, and he makes reference to exactly what's going on for Jesus in this song. Just, this is a psalm written hundreds of years before the cross. And Jesus chooses this psalm to start singing or to start speaking. Let's keep going. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. 
Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Now think about that. Jesus is making reference to a psalm that talks about thanking God for his mother. Right? That he's been, that God, you've been my God since the womb. And we know from other gospels that Mary is there. His mother is right there. And there is none to help me, right? Jesus is also in the middle of this, totally abandoned by his disciples. They've gone. They've fled. They're everywhere. But they're not with him and they're not defending him. He is alone. Now listen to this. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a raving and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Jesus is poured out like water. He's got to be dehydrated. The amount of that he has bled already is, is going to be miserable. Miserable. Um, that you, you, a lot of people died just from the scourging that he got before they went to the cross. Plenty of people never made it to the cross because they died there. Jesus is weak. And he, he's thirsty. His tongue sticks to the jaw, right? Remember from another passage that, that he asks, he says, I'm thirsty. Okay, this is right where Jesus is. And his bones are out of joints. This often happened on the cross. Often because you're hanging there from that long, eventually your muscles weaken and your, your, your bones, particularly your shoulder and your elbows, start to come out of joint. Hundreds of years before Jesus goes to the cross, they're written in this psalm, and this is the psalm he quotes on this day. It gets better. The dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Okay, you, you, get, you get this picture now, right? Jesus is singing a psalm that is proclaiming everything that's happening to him. From his garments being divided, and Mark even describes it, or some, the Gospels describe it, that some of his clothes, they tear up and divide but he's got one tunic that they don't want to divide, so they cast lots for it. I mean, it happens exactly this way. He can count all his bones because his bones aren't broken. Okay? Normally, to hurry along death, they would break the bones, break the legs of the person on the cross so that they would die more quickly. But Jesus dies before that. His bones are not broken, and his hands and his feet are pierced. Think about this. Jesus sings a psalm, and you don't know it's a psalm because you don't sing it in church. But all those people sitting there that start singing this in their head because they've been singing it since they were a kid. And they start realizing Jesus is predicting everything that's happening from a psalm written hundreds of years ago. But let me read the rest of the psalm so you understand why it's important for us today. But you, our Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. O you offspring of Jacob, 
glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring. Now listen to verse 24. He, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praises in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who, I, who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied, and those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and return to the Lord, and all your families of the nations shall worship you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the, all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to the people yet unborn, that he has done it. Clearly Mark knows this song. Because he's making reference to the specific language of wagging the head, specific language of dividing the garments. Mark is using this language to describe what is going on for Jesus. But understand the move of the psalm. This is a psalm that starts out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But where does it move? It moves to the end to say, He has not despised the affliction of the affliction. He has not hidden his face for him. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness, that he has done it. This is a psalm that moves from feeling forsaken to recognizing that you are not forsaken. And I believe that is Jesus' intention in quoting this psalm. In this moment, he feels forsaken. He feels the pain. He knows that he can get off that cross. He knows that the Father can take him off the cross. And he is fully feeling the pain and forsakenness that so often you and I feel in our lives. Jesus is not saved from it. He is not spared from that pain. But in the long run, we are. Yeah, we feel it sometimes. Some, but God is with us. Have you ever felt sad? you ever felt that darkness? you ever felt that anger where you think God is nowhere close to where you are right now? Pain is like that, right? It's, it's just what pain does. Okay? You ever have some just chronic pain? Just a constant pain? Okay? We've all had it in toothaches, right? You ever have a toothache? And for after three days, what's the only thing you can think about? The toothache, right? It's the only thing you can think about because pain does that. Pain, anger, fear, it narrows our focus. So that when we're, when we're scared, when we're afraid, when we're angry, when we're in pain, it's the only thing we can see and we can think about. And we lose sight of any kind of larger picture. And when you're only focusing like this, it's impossible to see that God truly is beside you. You worship a God not only that doesn't leave you or forsake you, but you worship a God who felt forsaken for you. He understands what you feel like when you feel like God the Father has moved away from you. But Jesus was not forsaken in this moment. Jesus was not forsaken in this moment. And neither are you. When you feel forsaken, 
that area of your life you just feel like God has nothing to do with, that area of your history that, that, that God just seemed to be far away from you, I am telling you, you were not forsaken. You are not forsaken. And you may feel that way. And Jesus knows what it's like to feel that way. But God is with you. God is with you. God is with you. May that truth give you peace this day. Let us pray. Father God, I know that for many, we feel the pain. We feel the anger. We feel the grief. And it's all we can see. And we lose sight of you. And so I pray that you would give us a vision that you are with us. That we would travel the road of this psalm. That we would move from feeling forsaken to feeling that you are with us and for us. Remind us of what you have done on the cross. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.